This is the 10,000 Depositions Later podcast, episode 120. I'm Jim Garrity. Today's topic, must you object to an improper objection? Hey everybody, welcome to the 10,000 Depositions Later podcast, where we discuss strategies and tactics in the taking and defending of civil, criminal, administrative, and arbitrative litigation. I'm the host of this podcast, the author of the 10,000 Depositions Later book series, and a practicing trial lawyer with 40 years experience, equally balanced between state and federal courts, and now with more than 20,000 depositions behind me. It is part of my and my team's effort to bring specific, actionable information to you, the active litigator, about the art and science of depositions, regardless of which side of a dispute you are on. Further, as regular listeners know, we give you our research free, meaning that we put the research for each episode in the show notes for your use. And for maximum benefit, we constantly update those show notes as we run across new cases. For example, just last week we added cases with parentheticals to the show notes in three prior episodes. Uh, specifically, that included episode 105, which deals with the problem of deponents who assert a Fifth Amendment or other privilege in deposition and then later seek to ambush you by selectively waiving it for their benefit, either at dispositive motion time or at trial. We added a May 3, 2023 ruling where a party filed papers in opposition to summary judgment that included testimony amounting to at least a partial waiver of a Fifth Amendment privilege that had previously been asserted. In this new case, the federal judge said, no, we're not going to consider testimony on summary judgment that you previously refused to give based on the Fifth Amendment. That's the Munger case, M-U-N-G-E-R, added to the notes of episode 105. We also added a new decision in the notes to episode 25, which addresses the question whether you can be sued for statements you make during a deposition, which in many jurisdictions just depends on whether the litigation of privilege applies to those depositions. So we've added a May 5, 2023 ruling to the show notes in episode 25 from a Massachusetts state court that said potentially libelous statements made during a deposition are in fact protected by the litigation privilege. That's the Kasparian case. And we added a new case to the show notes in episode 113, which highlighted the swiftness with which you can lose privileges like the attorney-client or work product privilege in depositions if you don't act quickly to protect them. Last week, we added the Life Bio, L-I-F-E-B-I-O case, a May 4, 2023 ruling from an Ohio federal court, which found that a lawyer had failed to preserve attorney-client privilege with respect to a document used in deposition, even though the parties had signed a clawback agreement. Clawback agreements, as you know, are essentially contracts entered into directly between the parties, sometimes then approved by a court, that provide if privileged documents are produced inadvertently during the course of litigation, the producing party, upon discovery, can demand their return, in effect, clawing them back. The court in LifeBio said, well, even where such an agreement has been reached, a lawyer's failure to act swiftly to protect the privilege and the lawyer's allowance of the use of a privileged document in a deposition 
nonetheless may result in waiver, and it did in that case. All right, so let's turn to the topic for today, which is a nuanced one, but still very important. And it's this, when a defending lawyer during your examination of a deponent makes an objection, but does so in a manner that is technically improper, must you in turn object to the objection? Failing which, do you waive your ability to nullify the improperly made objection? And for purposes of simplicity, we'll use the example of a form objection in a jurisdiction where the law requires you to also state the legal basis. So here's the scenario. Suppose you're in a jurisdiction that says a form objection is only proper if the objection also identifies the specific basis for the form objection. And as you may know, some courts hold that the word form alone is enough or some variation like objection form. Other jurisdictions, in contrast, say that's the equivalent of no objection at all and that you must also identify the specific legal basis. In those jurisdictions, the proper form objection would thus be form hearsay or form compound or objection to the form, whatever defect you identify that the examining lawyer can cure while the deposition is in progress. There is considerable conflict among jurisdictions nationwide as to whether the legal basis for a form objection must also be stated. And we've cited a filing in the show notes where lawyers in the course of arguing about what is or is not a proper form objection cited a litany of reported decisions on both sides of the argument. And it's important to know what your jurisdiction has to say about this because courts that require more than the word form appear to hold that you've waived your form objection if you didn't also specify the legal basis for it. So the question of the day is, if you're in a jurisdiction that requires a statement of the legal basis for the form objection as part of the objection and the defending lawyer erroneously just says form, must you now object to the defective objection? And if you don't, have you in turn waived your right to have the defective objection deemed a nullity? Which is to say, do you have to say something to the defending lawyer to alert them that their form objection is defective or can you simply disregard it without losing your right to challenge the validity of the deficient form objection? Well, to be technically compliant, you should object to the absence of the legal basis for a form objection in the jurisdiction where the court requires that the legal basis be added and then consider then requesting or declaring a standing objection to any additional form objection made without the legal basis. Now, this is a lesson about technical compliance with the rules, which I'm going to talk about right now. There are, of course, occasions where lengthier objections that include the legal basis may be undesirable for you or might disrupt the flow of your examination. You'll have to make that judgment on a case-by-case -case and deposition-by-deposition -deposition basis. This issue showed up on our radar because a lawyer called us to ask about it. She was in a deposition where the defending lawyer, she said, objected to virtually every question asked over the course of six hours by simply saying form. She did not ask for the legal basis at any time during the deposition 
and ultimately encountered a situation before the court where the issue of the propriety of the defending lawyer's objection and the lack of an objection to the objection from her became an issue. Well, the rules make clear that objections to virtually anything problematic during a deposition, questions, answers, the court reporter, or anything else must be timely made while the deposition is in progress. So at least according to the rules, which I'll quote in just a moment, there should at least be a pro forma objection on the record to a defective form objection. Now, let me be clear. I'm not suggesting that we all turn our depositions into freestyle rap battles where we go into a ditch because of objections to objections to objections. But you do tighten your deposition game when you comply with the rules. Federal Rule of Civil Procedure 30C2 titled Objections says in part, an objection at the time of the examination, whether to evidence, to a party's conduct, to the officer's qualifications, meaning the court reporter, to the manner of taking the deposition, and this last phrase, or to any other aspect of the deposition, must be noted on the record. But the examination still proceeds. The testimony is taken subject to any objection. So any other aspect of the deposition, that would certainly include defective objections. All right, so Federal Rule of Civil Procedure 32 which deals with the use of depositions and which has state equivalents in the supermajority of state courts and specifically subsection D3B titled waiver of objections says in part that an objection to an error or irregularity at an oral examination is waived if it relates to the manner of taking the deposition, the form of a question or answer, the oath or affirmation, a party's conduct, and here's that phrase again, or other matters that might have been corrected at that time and if it isn't timely made during the deposition. And because a defective objection is an error or irregularity at an oral examination that might have been corrected at the time, the effect of the rule is that the objection is waived if not timely made during the deposition. Again, whether you should object or whether you should insist on the legal basis will be entirely dependent on the circumstances of the moment. But you should know that an objection to an objection has to be made during the deposition in some form if your jurisdiction requires the legal basis as a part of the form objection to avoid the waiver of the waiver argument. And it can be something as simple as our jurisdiction requires you to state the legal basis for your form objection following which you can request or declare a standing objection if the defending lawyer does not begin adding the legal basis. We do have a case in the show notes, uh, by the way, where a court in ruling on a motion to compel said, quote, the fact that defendant's counsel did not address plaintiff counsel's form objections at or during the deposition does not necessarily mean that defendants have waived any waiver of the objections, end quote which is to say the court opined in an offhand way that it might not have been necessary for defense counsel to call out the failure of the defending lawyer to include a legal basis with a form objection. That's the Kasparov decision in the show notes. But the court didn't express the explicit language of the rule that clearly says that defects in any aspect of the deposition must draw a timely objection 
or waiver results. So that decision is out there if you find yourself in a waiver of the waiver situation. But again, Kasparov does not address the language of the rule that says an objection to anything that could be corrected must timely be made during the deposition, and that includes objections. All right, some practice tips, and then we'll wrap up. Rule number one, know your jurisdiction's stance on form objections, specifically whether the legal basis must be asserted as part of the objection. That's really important whether we are taking or defending. If the jurisdiction does not require the basis to be stated along with the word form or objection form, problem solved. But if it does require the legal basis as part of the form objection and the defending lawyer or lawyers are not doing so, well, then you've got to decide whether to call them out on it or whether to let it go. And that may depend in part on whether your interests are better served by hearing the basis for the objection or by not hearing it, but maintaining the flow of the examination. And you may also decide to at least raise it once directly and then assert or request a standing objection. Now, if you'd like to address this issue and minimize disruptions or disagreements during the deposition itself, consider addressing it in advance. So, for example, if you're in federal court, include a provision in the joint scheduling report about how objections during oral depositions shall be made. That's not an unusual stipulation in many cases, and it will uniformly resolve and avoid disputes ahead of time. It can be something as simple as that the parties agree that objections during oral depositions shall be limited to form or to form plus the specific legal ground. The advantage of doing it in the scheduling report as opposed to an agreement on the fly between you and the opposing lawyers through an email, for example, is that the court typically enters a final scheduling order adopting the lawyer's joint report, and so you obtain the court's blessing and also avoid a problem later where the court later says, well, you should have conferred with me because I'm the one that has to determine and rule on whatever objection uh, the parties claimed was actually being made at the time. You can easily do the same thing in state court by asking the judge or magistrate to enter an order based on the state general discovery provision like that that appears in Federal Rule of Civil Procedure 26, which says that a court has the authority to enter an order providing that discovery take place under certain terms and conditions. It has very broad authority under that kind of provision, and that can prevent very disruptive disputes from arising during the depositions. Much of this really depends on your jurisdiction, the type of case you're in, and of course, the opposing lawyer that you are dealing with. But it is always important to ensure that you understand the technical requirements of the applicable rule and that you strictly comply with them. There are a surprising number of cases on deposition-related issues where litigators have gotten tied up because of the nuances of the procedural rules governing depositions. Always better to know those nuances and make a conscious decision to preserve or waive, as the situation may be, to waive those rights than to discover when it really matters that the rules contemplated something different than what we did. All right, that's it for today. Another interesting topic. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll talk to you again next time.